From 11FS, I'm Sam Mall, and this is Fintech Insider News. This week, we bring you Acquisition Heaven 2019, the year of acquisitions, Chime ringing in the new year in style, Silicon Valley's reality check with California's new consumer privacy laws, and Barclays harness puppy power to ease students' money stress. All this and much more on today's show. All right, folks, real quick. I have to note this. 11FS is taking part in the 2020 British Bank Awards. We need your help to win. I'm not going to brag, but I'm going to brag. Last year, we took home the 2019 Consultancy of the Year, and we love, love, love to get it again two years running. We are highly competitive, and that's just how we roll. Not just that, we're also taking part in a new award category called Pioneer of the Year. So if you love the work that we do, head over to the following link, and I'm going to speak really slowly so you can get a pen and write this down, bit.ly forward slash 11FS2020, and nominate 11FS for the Consultancy and Pioneer Awards. It would mean the world to us. Okay, with that, let's get on with the show today. Welcome to episode 377 a fintech insider that is bonkers. Today, I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Will White. Will, with the tremendous New York beard, how are you today, Will? <laughs> I'm very good. A little hungover after after that. But we drank sake good. last night. <laughs> right. So, anybody that's watching the video, Will's the one with his head on the table. And the fabulous, fabulous beard. As always, we're not alone. We're joined by some awesome guests today making their fintech insider news debut. We have Philip Rosen, the CEO of Even Financial. Philip, how are you? Very good, thanks. Thanks you for having me. You also have a tremendous, tremendous beard. Not as well taken care of as his. No, oh, it's oh, not. Thanks, but, but you look good in a very Williamsburg type of way. Yep, We've that, already that's, established yeah, that's that. where I'm from. We also have one of my personal favorite people in New York, Ramona Ortega, the founder and CEO of My Money, My Future. Ramona, how are you? I'm good. I'm so excited to be here. And we're thrilled to have you. were in Austin? I was I in Austin yesterday. yesterday. I ran here. was at a Village Capital meeting earlier. So happy to be here. Ramona's always running somewhere. And last but not least, we have Charlie Ma, New York's growth manager at Plaid. Charlie, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm really good. I think you've had like eight meetings already with Will, at least in the uh, past yes, two yes, days. Yes. So there we go. All right, everybody. Welcome to the show. Let's get started. We have a lot of news to cover. The first story is actually breaking. So in the news today, I think I read this like two hours ago, Charles Schwab is acquiring TD Ameritrade for, I think it's $28 billion. A couple days ago, we read about PayPal made their largest acquisition to date of $4 billion for Honey. How y'all doing? You selling your companies? How we doing, everybody? Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I want to start with the Honey one. There's a lot of money. It's $4 billion for how much are they doing? Roughly about $100 million, yeah, I think. It's about a 40x on revenue, I think is about right. Which it is, seems high. Seems high. Seems high. Feels yeah. punchy. Yeah. Yeah. Seems high. They have, they have 100% growth year on year. But like that feels, I don't know. It's, it feels like a strange valuation. For for listeners that don't know, what is honey? Anybody want to take a stab at that? What does honey do? I only learned yesterday. You cover it, Sam. Well, it's it, it, honey is pretty interesting. I actually have it. It's a it's an extension. You know, when I go out, and I'm going to the point of purchase. Um, this this extension will come up, and it will cycle through and give me different deals and and show that and get me. And it's worked actually. It's, I got to say, it's been pretty good of what I've seen it do and come up. But for PayPal to spend four billion personally. I think, Phil, mobile? you gave it. Yeah, I mean, it seems... It's on my desktop, it, too. It makes sense to put that into the moment of payment. Like, mm. I get that. Um, a lot of people look at the cart as one of the, mo one of the most effective monetization moments. Certainly drives credit card acquisition better than almost anything else. So it, it seems really smart for a PayPal. just seems like a lot of money. Yeah, $4 billion is, is a ton. How about uh, $28 billion for TD Ameritrade? <clears throat> uh, we're thinking on that one. I don't know. It's big. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I can't speak to the multiple or whatnot on the revenue side, but it creates what the biggest I think brokerage by assets under management now, right? I think under something in the trillions of dollars oh, yeah, and, and bordering, kind of yeah. going against yeah. Vanguard now, which is right. that and scale is because is of massive free trading. Like, is this yes. consolidation it's a, it's because all of that? Consolidation commission. Yeah. I think that's what I was talking about earlier. That, that that's more interesting to me in terms of yeah. this consolidation, especially with the growth of robo advisors. And now your consolidation of the of the big wealth managers, 
are they, you know, what's going to happen, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you can just go straight now to a Vanguard or Fidelity. But is aggregating more assets under management really a defense? Like, it seems like they should be going after functionality or community, right? Just putting more assets under management, maybe some efficiencies, but it's not going to change the value prop. Yeah, Yeah, isn't it just a classic M&A cosplay? Yeah. Yeah, Ramon, I do like your point, though. And and I think we've seen this cycle throughout different um, verticals within fintech where the the disruptors will come in and disrupt, and then you'll watch those that have been in play forever and a day go, yeah, we can do that too. We got right. a crap ton of money, right. so mm-hmm. we can step in and do this. Well, so you've got to constantly be looking end, yeah. at your business model, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The back end is the same, right? I mean, I, I, even with the robo-advisors, a lot of them are still using the more traditional ETFs from these yeah. big wealth managers. Well, and, anyways... Here's what I would say. At the end of the show, we're going to give everybody a chance to um, give us a way to reach out to you, best contact information. So if you are looking to pitch and sell and be acquired, great time to do that. All right? Too soon, too soon. All right. Uh, just just mm-hmm. go in there. And, and plaid, you're way too expensive now. So, hey, hey, 11FS. <laughs> Sam Mall is really close to retirement, so let's make this work. Call me. All right. Um, on to our, our, our stories that we had before um, we heard that breaking news. The first one is around Chime. So the digital bank Chime will quadruple its revenue in 2019, um, a story that was in Forbes this past week. Um, they And here's what I found interesting. They listed Chime. And here's how they worded this. The leading branchless bank in the U.S. will earn $200 million in revenue, a fourfold increase over 218. So now I'm going to take a moment to do an editorial comment. They are not the leading branchless bank in the U.S. I would say USA would look at them and go, seriously, they're also not a bank. They don't have a banking license. They, however, they have seen um, and are reporting tremendous growth. They've said they've attracted 3.3 million customers, each hold an estimated average of 1.5 accounts. So that comes up, they're saying, to 5 million accounts. Um, they're also saying they're seeing a ton of growth around direct deposit. Uh, more than a million customers have signed up for that so far. And in a, a checking account, or in the UK called a current account, direct deposit is Nirvana. You have to go there. And that Chime plans to expand into credit cards and investment services as it strives to become a full-service digital bank. Thoughts, folks? Well, they're also spending $32 million just on TV ads. Yeah. So that this is, you know, we have seen a proliferation of online banks. I mean, Chime's been in the market for a minute. We've got Novo. You've got Simple. You've got N26 coming in. Mm-hmm. You've got Acorns opening banks. I mean, so so there's also the, this sort of banking craze, zero fees. Mm-hmm. I want to know where the revenue is going to come yeah, from and eventually. Uh, all they're you. doing is really pumping VC dollars into advertising spend <laughs> and just driving up the cost of consumers with being not a real bank but a front end to a bank. So it's a dubious dubious value prop. <laughs> yeah, I, I I find it interesting. I like that you brought up the the point around um, traditional advertising, right, with television and not this word of mouth growth. Um, I, I've done the, and I know we all have done that, where you're the Shark Tank guy, right, mm-hmm. at the pitches and everything, and you're like, and you're doing growth via, and they go word of mouth, and you're like, you just leave. Yeah, mm-hmm. go get, that's nice. That's cute. That's not real. Um, the one thing I do find interesting, though, right, um, and I, I get Chime bragging about three million cost, or yeah, three million active customers. It's so funny because in the U.S. we just don't talk about it enough. You go down to Brazil with NewBank, what ten, yeah. twelve mm, million crazy customers mm-hmm. in that market, yeah. and and I don't, I can't remember the name of it, but they're about to get competition. Sarah Kachansky, who does research for us, um, one of the big investment firms has just invested something like nine point eight billion in a challenger to the challenger in Brazil. So it's going to be fun to see. Yeah, I know. I can't. Wow. And, and if I was really good, I'd have that story up and running right now, (laughs) but I don't want to eat up the data on my phone, but, um, Sarah, good job. I'll find out exactly who that was and we'll see how that goes. Um, are, are we buying the direct, um, deposit going into these accounts? I'm kind of interested in what Ramona said there. Um, sorry, I'm gonna have to turn, (laughs) not ruin the mic, but, um, yeah, I, I think the interesting thing, a full declaration, I was early doors at Monzo in the UK and then mm-hmm. a competitor. And I would say about four years ago, when it first set out in the UK, the cost per acquisition was almost nothing because right. you would just get a community. It was kind of like doing something that the banks weren't. And on the user experience, user interface, um, the banks caught up. Um, other people caught up. There wasn't an obvious moat. So this was always going to happen. And now they're facing kind of bank-level um, cost, per, cost per acquisition, and then at that point you've got to find the revenue somewhere, and it's very tempting to go down lending. I, d- I don't know enough about Chime's kind of credit risk. I don't know enough there. 
In terms of them getting the direct deposit, my biggest concern here is is their outage with Galileo the other day. Because if you're aiming at the underserved market and you're dealing with the paycheck to paycheck group and suddenly your payment processor goes out for a few hours and someone doesn't get to work, you don't get a paycheck. If that goes out on Twitter and goes viral, you've lost customers. Yeah, but it was interesting. There wasn't a really... There wasn't a backlash, to be fair. There wasn't a backlash. That is a very fair point. The consumers were really understanding of that. I'm I'm very traumatized (laughs) because I dealt with... There was the equivalent of Galileo sort of servicing enough people Mm -hmm. as GPS in the UK. And they've done a great job since. But two, three years ago, they had a bunch of problems. And the outages were incredibly damaging from a PR perspective. And interestingly, it didn't happen this time. I think Chime has has built an interesting brand amongst their consumers. There there does seem to be a lot of trust with the end users that they have. Like I, I think I think I was expecting to see a much stronger visceral viral response just because it's completely down and there was some social media activity, but not a lot. Um, I think that the responses from the team was really, really strong, but I, I did find that to be really, really interesting. They handled it responsibly, yeah. and I think consumers at this point have a little bit of an understanding that this is a new thing and there's going to be issues. If the same thing had happened from Cap 1, I think totally there would have been outrage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? yeah. But, mm-hmm. I, mean, look, just, I mean, obviously you saw it, but when Cap 1 <clears throat> cut off certain access points to right. their data, there right. was a real big backlash about that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. that was a real bank, like a full-scale bank. Right. China's yeah. not that. Right. And I also think it's uh, a little bit of maturity too, right? I mean, this isn't 210. Like, I remember Simple went down, mm-hmm. right, um, at the time. And and I think Simple handled it incredibly well, right, the way they reached out. They actually paid customers, if I remember right, something like um, 50, they put 50 bucks into their accounts mm-hmm. for it. And uh, it was a, it was an excellent way to, to address this. And I think they had done a, a, Shamir and the team had done a, an excellent job of managing that. But the, the concept of this pure digital bank isn't new. Well, that, so that's exactly my point. And, and yeah. full transparency, I, yeah. I, I'm an EIR with Oslo, which is owned by BBVA, BBVA and Simple is part of that family. Yeah. This is not new. I mean, that's kind of what I'm always like surprised. I'm like, we have tons of digital banks now. And even when you come, when people start talking about the underbanked, I was like, people can get a bank account now for free with no fees. And it's pretty accessible for most people if you have social security card and et cetera. Um, so I, I just like to see like what happens in three years. I mean, again, all of these other companies are adding bank accounts. Tons of fintechs are saying now that their bank is they're using charters and they're it's sort of rent a bank. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I mean they're they're competing a lot on features, right? There's the overdraft protection element, yeah, right. which kind of drives a revenue stream for the banks to zero. It's just like commission access free. to my pay early, by right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, early, uh, and twenty six, I think, is doing that. Too. So yeah. it's like they have the Robin Hood or StockTwits early mover advantage on cost of trade, and then the banks will eventually do that, and everybody's going to start looking for new ways to make money. And if you don't hold the bank charter, that means you're probably stuck in partnership, right? Like yeah. you know, because you can't do it all yourself. Reality. Right. And, you, and you're not making money off of Interchange. So right. it gets back to you're going to make money off of the other products, right? You're right. make money off of lending, getting into credit, and mm-hmm. that's where you see it. I think part of the reason my own take on why the outrage wasn't massive, I seriously doubt many of these Chime was their primary account. That's right. Yeah, I mean, they still had access not. to That's absolutely rooms. right. And I think that's we're going to see that more and more, too. This is These are additional accounts. You know, we have research internally that we've done that shows that uh, millennials, you think they want everything digital and mobile, but when it comes to their checking account where they're actually putting their paycheck, they want a physical branch, right? They mm-hmm. want the digital interface. But they like to know there's some place they can actually go. Um, they haven't totally embraced pure, exclusively digital, and so yeah, it's almost certainly not their only account. Oh, mm-hmm. I, it'll be. Like, I think the thing that will be interesting is to do a show, like you said. Let's go about two years out, and one see if Chime hasn't been acquired by Lord knows who. City went out and acquired them, and then what? What does it look like now? Have they actually branched into other offerings, right? And and have they? The, the thing at the end of the day, it comes back to revenue, right? Are you making money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, what really the, matters. And well, hell. There's the other side, which is the cost side cost, as well. Yeah. Yes. Because um, on the whole, rent a bank, or David said Airbnb, your bank license, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So it, it's it's a very smart model, obviously, in the specifically in the US because of the quantity of like community banks. But um, the hidden costs of running these things are insane because Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't matter if there's a middle layer between you and the bank or you're directly with the bank. When you're having to deal with the realities of compliance and customer operations, um, I don't think that there's an agreed point at this point of how much you do as the fintech or the Mm -hmm. neobank and how much is Mm -hmm. done by the underlying bank. And that is they're very exposed on a meta level and on a micro level. Why would they go out a bank? 
right? They have right. enough cash. <laughs> yeah, it gets That's, back I mean, to that, It's right? like $50 million you can buy a bank. They should be able to afford that. Right. Like, just buy the bank. Yeah. <laughs> I think, though, I think... Play a regional bank. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, buy well, a very small mm, regional bank. Well, the regional <laughs> banks are the ones that are supporting them. I mean, and they're they're using Sutton, right? And Bancor at yeah. the end of the day. Are they right? Sutton? Yeah, yeah, yeah Sutton okay. and Bancor. So, I mean... Uh, what's funny, you're talking about those underlying costs. That's not just unique to the fintechs, though. So you, uh, no. you can take the largest banks in the U.S. without naming them, but they're very large, and they might be top five, that have rolled out pure digital play banks. And part of the reason they have folded up or run into issues is because the cost of servicing, even internally, their internal costs, are ridiculous. Well, Chase— yeah, they, tough to do. But Chase also just completely blew it on marketing. I mean, I think they spent something like 20% of their IT budget to build their digital bank, only to shut it down after six months. And that was mostly going to agency and marketing and creative, mm -hmm. <laughs> not operations. I'm but, looking at the camera and smiling really broadly yeah. at that comment because I agree 100%. And we, I think we could stay on this story all day. <laughs> yeah, we can. But I have to move on. Because you just opened the Finn thing. And oh, my God. Thing. I'm, I'm so excited. The Finn thing is fascinating. It's yeah. fascinating because it's like it a different version. It's like, did they think about the compliance yeah. correctly? Did they think about the realities yeah. of digital? Yep. Or were they yep. more interested in the digital design? And I'm not right. like throwing... It's hard what they're doing. Yeah. We have one of the people fair. who participated uh, in that whole process working for us. Interesting. And uh, she really walked us through it. Sounds like it was actually more about design by committee. Yeah. Is mm -hmm. what, what did it in at the end. They're <laughs> like, we're going to do a digital bank for millennials. Yeah. And yeah. now we ended up with something thoroughly mediocre that no one wants. And shocking. All right. So I want to move on to a topic which is equally fascinating. <laughs> kind of. Um, HSBC in the U.S. is offering real-time payments their network to business clients. This is a story by Finextra. So HSBC is using the RTP network to offer just-in-time cash management, instant payroll delivery, and immediate funds to business clients, which actually isn't a bad move, right? SMEs and, and business clients. I kind of like, you know, that, that, that area. These enterprise can send real-time payments as of Monday morning and have been able to receive them since July. HSBC has been working with the clearinghouse, and that's where RTP comes from, and other banks to modernize the U.S. payments industry through RTP, which I think was launched around 2015. Um, the Fed has come in and said that they're finally going to have a real-time payments network called FedNow, which is actually Fed later because it's not going to roll out to like 2023 20, or 24, which I still find to be flipping hilarious. And <laughs> unlikely. And thank you. <laughs> and that was Phil, everyone. And I agree, highly <laughs> unlikely they'll get it done in that time because it will be designed by committee, and we'll see how that goes. Um, so, again, I think this is interesting, but, I mean, you already got 50% of the U.S. banking system that operates using RTP by the clearinghouse. So, is HSBC ahead of the game, or are they just playing catch-up? I mean, why this move? I'm looking right at Will with your incredible <laughs> beard. I read this, I was like, uh-huh. Is know this kind of one view. of those stories where you're like, okay. Yeah, I, that was literally my view. Was like, mm. yeah. although I will say this, um, you know, in my experience with the bank and and as a client, as a business banking client, all small businesses want their money sooner. That mm -hmm. is the one thing that, even though we've done all this stuff That's in a fintech, very good point. Mm -hmm. getting people their money still takes a long time. Yep. I put in a check for ten thousand dollars. It had to wait like nine days. I mean, their entire lending model is built on that fact, right? Like that's what factoring is, just move the money to them faster. Yep. Yeah. Correct. Mm -hmm. And, so and I, float is really nice when you yep. work at a bank, right. by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. And then interest. And yeah. people don't understand that. So when, But I think that being able to get real-time cash, that's why Venmo, people love Venmo. I can get my money right away. Mm -hmm. And that's – I still think the time – to cash is still a big issue for a lot of people. And one of my favorite stories, a friend of mine over in the um, in the UK, she founded a co-founded a company called Asmo, um, which is all around think of transferwise and everything like that. Mm -hmm. But she was waiting tables. She was from like Germany or Poland, if I remember it, Poland. And Marta was waiting tables, and she was trying to get money home to her mother. And she went to the bank to do it, and was like, "Oh my God, no! What she'd have to pay in fees." She went to Western Union. She went to a couple examples. It was cheaper for her to buy a ticket. <laughs> on Ryanair, mm -hmm. take the cash on her and fly and hand it to her mother. And because of that use case, she created a fintech company, yep. right, with somebody. It's stories yeah. like that that drive you nuts. Yeah. But flip that outside the consumer world. And like you said, put it on small business. Cash management and cash flow is your lifeblood. Mm. I mean, hell, I mean, fintech companies, even worse, right? I mean, you've got to make payroll. You've got to have that money flowing. So I... I get HSBC playing this. I'm not knocking HSBC too much. I don't, I don't think it's too late. I think I think it's still early days in RTP, right? I mean, in especially now yeah. in the U.S. Especially, especially. Um, like I think the vast majority of businesses and consumers aren't even aware of what RTP really means, right? I think Agreed. if you go and talk to a business and say, "Hey, you can send your payment via ACH 
same-day ACH, which isn't necessarily same-day, uh, or RTP via ACH or RTP via now Fed, FedWire, FedNow, uh, the vast majority of businesses, I think, won't understand what that exactly means, right? Um, and so I think it's still early days, and I think we, I think there's a lot of interesting problems it's kind of trying to solve, and I think there can be a lot of interesting companies around that, but the ecosystem around that just still hasn't been built out, right? We just got, I think, of 10 banks or so with ACH that are on board, and it's still kind of unclear which banks have it, which ones don't, and it's not super clear yet on the value prop exactly, I think, for the business and what they're giving up in exchange to get faster payments, um, so I think it's still early. Like I don't think it's too late by any means. Yeah, I mean the the name of this podcast is FinTech Insiders. Yeah, right? cool name, and I like that. But it's I think when you even think about the name of the podcast and all of us sitting around the table, the fact that we know when FedNow is supposed to roll out, mm-hmm. and the fact that we know who actually did, you know. RTP, and we know what the clearinghouse is, mm-hmm. the typical small business person has no clue what we're talking about at all. Yeah. They just, they just need mm-hmm. it to work. Yeah, yeah right. right. And I'm, no pay, I'm not a payments expert, and so one of the things I keep wondering about RTP is what it means for wires, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's the other thing that's kind of replacing. And there are massive issues in wires, especially around fraud, like billions and billions yes. and billions and billions of dollars. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. is RTP actually kind of the thing that'll finally maybe fix that? Um, I really, I really don't know. But um, having come from a market where fast payments exist, it it just creates new criminals. Oh, it creates new criminals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as in anything new technology does, right. Sad, right. sadly so. I mean, it does just produce new criminals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's the world we live in, though, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you know. they they just find they just find easier ways to yeah. get the money faster, and actually they can spin it around the system faster. Yeah. So right. they can no, la- they can layer the, the. I think like you need stronger customer authentication. If mm. you're if it's going to be easier to send payments, they're going to clear faster, mm-hmm. and your clawback yeah, yeah. window decreases. Like it just points to okay, there's going to be a lot more tooling, a lot more education. That's going to be up to have to be done for these merchants if you're going to accept RTP. Like you got to be increasingly sophisticated about those fraud vectors. Yeah, so. and and I think um, to sort of um, I think there's always a thing on this that you know oh the UK has done a wonderful job with fast payments. Just to be clear, the government in the UK uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago said they're now going to put a one day delay on fast payments, which everyone wow. by the way went that's ridiculous. Like yeah. you don't solve the future by going backwards. There was great actual <laughs> Twitter <laughs> comments on this, like, hey, there's this thing called a check. We could go there, too, and maybe introduce that. I was, that I was so I, angry. I was like, this is uh, the equivalent of saying, how do you solve car accidents in 2019 is you get the guy with the red flag to walk in front of the car again. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But it, it that was them because it's the cycling is a big problem that mm. you get money disappears into one account and then into three others and you know, it's gone. It's gone. The victims. Yeah. Well, That's fraud exciting. is always a hot topic. Another great hot topic. You like how I do these these segues? Mm, I do too. Yeah. I think I'm incredible. That's at why this. I come to work. So I'm- <laughs> I love myself so much. Um, another segue: data privacy. Right? Oh my God! Coming from the UK, did everybody sign their GDPR form before we started? Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, story came out of Yahoo Finance. A uh, few companies are prepared for California's consumer privacy regulations. I love the U.S. and our 50 states and our regulations. Uh, a new survey suggests that 88% of companies have not reached an adequate state of compliance ahead of the California Consumer Privacy Act. The act comes into force in January. It aims to protect citizens' privacy and has been compared to Europe's GDPR regulation. Under the new rules, California will also be able to penalize companies affected by data breaches. Only 12% of respondents said they're ready for the new regulatory landscape, according to the study by privacy technology firm Ethica. What a cool name. I get carried away with names. All right. Let's start first with, all right, well, you're the Brit in the room. GDPR for the American audience. Can you quickly explain what GDPR is? Oh, thanks. Um, I, Come on. Yeah. You can do it. I put this into a business. Um, it's, it's your right to your data. It's your right to access your data, right to be forgotten, are kind of the two main ones. Um, there was something else as well. I can't remember. Anyway, we put it into the business. Just to be clear on that 88% thing, no one was ready when mm. GDPR came in mm. because the truth is it's like, are you ready to do this? It's like, how much scenario planning are you going to do? Truthfully, right. you're going to wait till the first request comes. And I, I, I think is right to forgotten, right to be forgotten included. I can't remember on this Californian law, but the, the deletion of all the data. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I yes. think that's what I read. Yes. And and the truth is, you you figure it out. It's like what happens when the first request comes. Um, what happens when the first criminal realizes they can annoy you by asking for all their data? Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, like it, it's, the truth is, this 88 percent thing. I don't think anyone should beat themselves up on. I'm sure whoever wrote this report is getting some good consulting fees and I don't mean to be rude but <laughs> yeah, yeah. like that was this was this was our experience with GDPR appearing in the UK exact like literally word for word um, reports oh it's going to be disastrous your company's going to collapse it's you're not going to have the systems in place you haven't practiced for it no one's ready everyone did fine 
You right. know, no one's really, no one's been, no one's been um, taken to the cleaners there. Um, it, it, you, you, you learn on, on, you figure it out. I mean, you know where the data is. Well, they, uh, according to the article, there's, there's six intentions around this act. And again, this is California specific, but California is still the, what, the eighth largest, I think, uh, economy. Uh, in the it's world. Ridiculous in the world. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Somebody said, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. Right? Google Most it. of the tech companies are there. Yeah, you know, a couple of them. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Platt. Um, all right, so there's six, though. Uh, first is know what personal data is being collected about the individual, the consumer. Know whether their personal data is sold or disclosed and to whom. Hey, Google. Uh, say no to the sale of personal data. Access their personal data. Request a business to delete any personal information about a consumer collected from that um, individual and not to be discriminated against for exercising their privacy rights. This really, I, I think stuff like this gets interesting and and I'm going to look up at Charlie. So it is interesting, right? When we talk mm-hmm. about Plaid, mm-hmm. uh, for, for the two people that listen to this podcast that don't know what Plaid does, what, what is Plaid business model? What is it that Plaid provides? Yeah, uh, so we do. We provide a platform that enables applications to be able to connect into your bank account and be able to pull that data from that bank account. So it's all with uh, consumer consent is really, really key, um, but you can pull down transaction information, payment information, identity information, anything that, that's in that bank account, developers can build on top of. So again, back at, in in my day, way back when, you know, we talked about aggregation, mm-hmm. you know, and all that. If anything, now it's such a convoluted, it just is, right? I mean, yeah. I think about myself, I have, God, I don't know, probably double digit banking relationships, you know, across, uh, prob- easily double digit across that when it comes to everything from my mortgage to student loans to um, uh, my investments and everything else, I can only imagine how much data I have that's flying around, mm-hmm. that's out there. And then, good God, you get then to Amazon, and mm. I probably have a card on file at Pinterest. I don't know. We were talking about that before. <laughs> I don't think I can yeah, do that, but God knows. Right? They probably figured it Debit out at the card. bank of Pinterest yeah. for that. Yeah, I think this is interesting. I think it was just GDPR they were ready for. When PSD2 rolled out, I think, what was it, maybe eight of the top ten banks didn't meet the January deadline, even for implementation for that. I don't think this is uncommon. Yep. You know, for fintech, though, I think it's kind of interesting because I think it's much more scary for legacy digital business and e-commerce than probably fintech because we live in a world that is so compliant heavy that has so many requirements around disclaimers and consents. Right, that you know, it's not like this is overly burdensome compared to, let's say, FCRA, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. or TCPA. Like we live in the world of these regulations, whereas e-commerce and ad tech, this is horrifying to them. For us, it's like, oh, one more set of regulatory rules to comply with. Do you know that's a really good point? When GDPR happened in the in the UK, the banks took it really seriously, and and the fintechs took it really seriously, and everyone knew where the carve-outs are, right. and the logic of it. Mm-hmm. And then it was the first time a lot of friends who usually think I'm quite boring for knowing about financial technology would ring me up from advertising companies, mm-hmm. and they'd be like, we're trying yeah. to figure out GDPR, and I'm like, it's not that hard. Like You yeah. must know where the data is. Advertising's in real trouble. E-commerce yeah. probably is in real trouble. Yeah, I think it's because it's, it, like, the cost basis is built in, right? Yeah. We have compliance teams, we have regulatory That's councils, yeah. we have policy teams that we have, we're equipped. Right. It's just additional something else to react against. But right. it's something we can we, we do build for. I'm already licensed and regulated by fifty states and the federal government right. across four different financial service products. Like the GDPR, you know, whatever they're calling it in California isn't overly burdensome compared to that. Yeah, and I, and I remember that that feeling like we kept on getting comments yeah. from our e-money license. Are you ready for GDPR? And we're like, yeah. yeah like, I mean, that's it's literally like, mm, we, like <laughs> it was like, yeah, we sort of know where it is, and we'll wait for the first request, right. and yeah. then we'll provide it. Um, and it was yeah, and I'm sure it's and it was I've completely forgotten. Our marketing team, interestingly, were terrified because they had a right. marketing list, right? Which the we, advertising, yeah, we hadn't even, yeah, yeah. which we hadn't even been thinking about, and they were very nervous because of the rules. Yep, the actual like. Finance side of the business, we were like, I don't know. Hey, Ramona, I'm curious because you you're the attorney in the room. I, I threw that out there. If you didn't know, Ramona's attorney, and I, she's still one of my favorite people. Wow, in New York. Hence, she's I'm not practicing anymore. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's the your best take? kind of lawyer? Yeah, that's it. I mean, there you go. I, look, I'm actually. I, I think I'm a big 
proponent of like sort of, you know, people being able to have their access to their data. So I, I and I actually think the protections are, are are a good move. I agree. I think that there's there's going to be a ton of companies that are going to pop up that tech companies can use to cover their butts on this, mm-hmm. to be honest. Yeah. Um, and I do think that because we're in finance, um, we're used to being regulated across the board, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's just a natural, and, and as you should, yeah. if you're dealing with people's money and personal data around money. I mean, so. We deal with money and consumer data. And we knew we were going to do that when we started the company. And before we built anything else, we built a PII protection service yeah. and a security system just to enable us to secure and audit and track consumer data. That was yep. the first code we built. And I don't think you can be a responsible fintech without having that sort of like compliance, security first, and regulation, you know, aware attitude. Advertising has been the wild, wild west for the last 20 years, right? And so they're completely in trouble. And and I didn't give you a chance, um, Phil, to give it a shout-out. So even financial. Sure. I mean, we're a platform for financial services partnership. Uh, you can think of us like the Twilio for financial services in a way. Uh, we have an open API. You can integrate it anywhere in order to deliver financial service products to your consumers. You can do that to monetize them. You can do that to add value. You can do it to facilitate sales. On the other side, we integrate with all the banks and all the financial service companies to drive them the users that they would like to engage with and do it in a way that is always profitable profitable and ROI driven. So I think we're all in agreement that if you're in advertising, you're screwed. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And we're all happy that we're not in that space. (laughs) I think that's a great place for us to take a break. All right. Hear from our sponsors. Thanks. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation, and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation, and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. Welcome back to Fintech Insider from 11FS. I'm Sam Mall. We are in New York right now. And I want to also tell you that we are hiring. Check out 11FS.com slash careers to find your dream new job. And you might get to work with me. We have open roles in consulting, product, design, tech, research, benchmarking, foundry, pulse, ops, and many, many more. So check out the vacancies on 11FS.com forward slash careers now. And all right, with that, let's get back to the show. Our next story, um, this is actually an article in TechCrunch that Elevon is going to acquire SagePay Gateway. So the U.S. Bank Corp. subsidiary will apparently purchase the payment processor for 232 million pounds in cash, which is about $233 million. Thank you, Brexit. Um, Elevon operates in 10 countries, says it's the fourth largest merchant acquirer in Europe. Its competitors include Stripe, PayPal, MasterCard, and Visa. Meanwhile, SagePay is one of the biggest payment processors for SMEs in the UK and Ireland. The deal is subject to regulatory approval, of course, but it's expected to close in the second quarter of 2020. Gets back to our opening story about all these acquisitions that are flying around and taking place. So this is interesting because this is a U.S. company buying a U.K. payments provider. Is there any significance in that? Um, I look at the Brit in the room. I don't know, like, you got a quick grunting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a, it's a sake like coming back through from yeah, it's a And Will, what do you think? <laughs> I drink. Oh. <laughs> um, do you know what? Maybe this is me being really skewed on this. It's, aren't, aren't they all trying to defend against Stripe? And and they, they aim at, like, trying to... I, I know Stripe's not just a payment process, but, like... Um, they're, on the, they're always trying to sort of figure out, like, they can see Stripe coming into more and more areas, and they're like, oh, it's got to be a cost play, so if we just have more capacity and more scope and we'll do better. And the truth is, if you use Stripe, you actually pay a premium because it's really user-friendly as a customer. So that's, I mean, I don't know whether I'm completely off course here, but that feels like always what the defense is here. I, I don't know enough, but that feels well, I, what they're doing. As an ex-Tesis guy from way back when, right, Um the thing with processing, it's becoming such a commodity, right? The costs are just, and when I worked at Tesis, that was the terror, right? Is that this, 
our, our it gets back to business models. This is what we talked about with Chime. It's what we talked about at each of these, right? Yeah. If your business models aren't evolving along with technology and consumer behavior, you're screwed. Right. Right? Because we're, we're seeing margins just yeah. shrunk I, everywhere. I think, I think the, the trend, at least that, I'm, that, I, that I think that we're kind of seeing across payments, is you're seeing kind of acquisition of payment gateways and payment method out, right? So you have yeah. Rapid, you have Stripe expanding. I think this acquisition of SagePay kind of does something similar, right? You had Earthport getting bought, I think, bought by PayPal last year, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where it's great. Okay, if processing is getting commoditized, What's something that doesn't get commoditized? Distribution. And we can charge a premium depending upon the payment methods that we can offer to XYZ merchant as more merchants get online, as they get more international, et cetera. Um, as to how long that'll last, I don't know. But it does seem as though we're starting to see some some consolidation in that space. Yeah. Um, but but some international expansion, which is interesting. Yeah, it's a it, it to me it's an incredibly interesting space. And at the end of the day, you gotta have a hell of a lot of capital. And a hell of a lot of resources, and in, in terms of people that yep. work with you, um, to really look and figure out. Okay, our business model screwed. <laughs> There's a lot of players coming in. Competition globally keeps shifting. Yeah. So how are you going to keep pace? And obviously, 2019 was a year of acquisitions. 2020. Oh, I mean, I, yeah, I'm going to go down a rabbit trail. Do you think we're going to keep seeing this in 2020? Is this maybe trying to get ahead of any kind of market turn? Is that why we're seeing all this? Market turn, and also I think like consolidating on business models that work, right? So much money went in to all these fintechs, right? right? And now it needs to start figuring out, okay, how are we going to get it out? And we have to put, you know, consolidate that on the bets that might win. I think that's why you're seeing less seed money, right? Uh, So, you know, it's going to keep moving in that direction. Right. That's a good thing, though. Hmm? Isn't that a good thing? It depends on who you are. (laughs) Yeah, Ramona's like, wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, well, no, just saying, you know, actually as someone who really cares about the capital markets in terms of all these IPOs that got dumped onto sort of the normal investor, right, that got, that were paying out sort of these huge valuations, mm-hmm. that at the end of the day, these aren't great companies. I mean, they weren't, they weren't revenue-positive companies. So I think there's some of that's happening. Yeah. And I agree with you that it's the revenue model at the end of the day, the business model has to be sound. And I think people are just like, where is there some value Yeah, here? where's the value? Let's where's consolidate the- it there. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Ramona, with your company, right? Because um, I'm now, you like how I've given everybody a chance to give the spiel. Nice. Can you can you give the quick pitch? Sure. We we have a platform that provides digital financial advice and education, um, particularly for millennials. <laughs> and this is what I know about Ramona. This is why I love her. You hustle nonstop. Which in the, in the growth stage of where you're at, you have to right. It's constantly about how do I draw actual consumers to the product and how do I That's raise right. money. Well, we we have to actually be even more lean and I think more revenue sort of focus because as a woman of color in, in fintech, um, I mean, less than 1% goes to women of color in Silicon Valley. So we've actually always had to be thinking about how do we actually have money in the door. Um, so I think it makes us a stronger company. But um, as the seed rounds um, are sort of dwindling, that that really impacts more of the small innovators like myself in terms of how to enter the market. Are we going to see, um, what's the word I want? A negative response, or expect, uh, <laughs> we work today announced what twenty four hundred layoffs, I believe, is the news I just saw. Yeah, right. Um, it, there's that, obviously a, a great amount of distaste upon somebody being able, maybe a couple people being able to make a hell of a lot of money, and at the same time watch a lot of other people basically lose everything that was invested in that. And that's why I think I said, Phil, when you had mentioned that, that I, I'm okay with that, with the idea of. You got to show me a quicker path to revenue, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and being revenue positive and how you're going to grow. I th- I think that for me is a maturity. I, I wouldn't call it a bubble. Um, I'm I'm not a. I, I don't know about that. I think there's multiple factors. I do think there's this uh, this concept of what if we do take a downturn? We've got an entire mm-hmm. decade without a recession mm-hmm. after getting all of our asses kicked in <laughs> one of the worst recessions we've seen in God knows how many years since the 30s. So I do think that has to be present in people's mind. Yeah. And if I'm pushing the money out there, I'm going to be a hell of a lot stricter on what I'm going to I mean, there's still going to be large amounts invested, though. It's not like we're oh going to see— Oh, my God. Yeah, we're seeing I mean, ridiculous <laughs> it's amounts. Like, it's not going to be a peak year again, maybe, for seed, but it's still going to be tons on the table. Yeah, yeah it's relative, <laughs> yeah, right? It's very um, relative. Although these things are changing. I mean, people are raising a million and a pre-seed now. Like, mm-hmm. that's the new yeah. norm. Yeah. That was right? a, so it's so yeah. weird. Like, so now, like, all of it, everyone's talking about pre-seed now. Yeah. Yeah. That was a—I spent too much time on Twitter. 
Um, but that was a great post. I can't remember who did it. That went back and said, if you take a look at some of the companies like around 2008, 2009, yeah. 2010, what their seed capital was. Like and Amazon now it was, or something, yes. right? Raised tw- like only $20 million yeah. or something super small in terms and you're of like, all the venture capital raised. Yeah, yeah, now that would be like a dog walking company. Because all the, piles yeah. up. As soon as, as, soon as one makes a bet, uh, then everybody else is like, oh, this must be good. And everything piles into it. Right, and then you're fighting the, you're you're fighting the money off as soon as you get the first term sheet. Right. I mean, that's still that's still how it is with the FOMO thing. It's, yeah. and that's a problem. I mean, it's super problematic for founders like myself yeah. because if you don't get that sort of you have one, to get one, you have to get that lead, yeah. the signal in yep. the market. Yeah. So, so our next story is actually ties right in with that about a struggling small fintech and financial who's uh, <laughs> trying to make a dent. So Alipay aims to serve ten million European SMEs by 2024. It's an article on Finextra. I love that we're talking about Alipay and financial in Europe. Um, the Amp Financial platform will expand its partnerships with Worldline to allow European merchants to accept payments at point of sale. Alipay will also offer many programs to capture tourists in routed airports around the world. The company currently works with over 120 financial institutions in Europe and plans to focus on travel agencies to seize growth opportunities. The first thing that springs to mind for me is um, pray to God that China doesn't take a, a hit right within their market that makes a lot of this stuff interesting to see what happens there. That I'm, makes I'm so not, much sense. I, I'm not close enough to, to you know, say whether, you know, it's a, a massive bubble there or not. But uh, to me, that sounds somewhat worrisome. But I do like their expansion into the European market. For them, I think it's a great move. I mean, if you just, if you just see the change in Europe traveling there over the last 15 years, you know, it's it's so many people coming to Europe for travel for from Asia. Yep. Yes, right. And now just to let them keep paying the way they are used to it, that's just so smart. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just not Europe, right? I mean, I've, I'm Dubai. Yeah. You get out and you go to the beach, right? Yep. And where it used to be, you know, German Italians and everyone else, um, very heavy with with Chinese tourists that are coming through. The middle class had exploded in China, and and seeing that that money come across. I mean, hell, you go to Vegas. I haven't noticed in New York. In the cabs, where you know it is saying, yeah, we take union pay and all that. In Vegas, everything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. everything starts with Chinese and mm-hmm. then yeah. moves into <laughs> English and yeah. then Spanish, but it starts at Chinese. So you follow the money. Right. Yeah. Um, it, it's interesting here um, with their rapid expansion. They're seeing. I like that they're targeting the SME side of this, though. I like that. To me, again, I think that's a smart play for them because it's mm. something that they know. Yeah, and it's where a lot of the tourist market is, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. you know, I mean. If I'm, in, you know, I run a, a shop near Windsor Castle or, yep. you know, near Times Square, like, you know, I want a Chinese, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, if they're going to come and, and, and shop there, you, you want the ability for them to shop easily. I mean, it's... Well, I like the idea of market dominance, too. So in this article, it said that 87% of survey respondents aged 18 to 69, and that's basically everybody, in China, reported they use Alipay for their financial needs. The company serves 1.2 billion users through e-wallet partnerships across the Asia-Pacific region. I love that Charlie did a slight shake of his head like, that's a nice... Crazy scale. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> yeah, that's scale. It is a crazy scale. And I, I traditionally, when I'm on stage and I'm talking about um, business models, I'm always, I always say, look, if you think you're going to lift something from one geo to another, you need to be slightly careful. In this case, I don't know if I would say that. Just go for it. Yeah, yeah in this case, especially <laughs> just, just go for it. with the funds that they have and everything else, go for it. Am, am I, is it right to say that Jack Ma has retired and is teaching now? Does anybody know? He re- I know he stepped down, but I'm not sure. I guess he's probably on the board, but I know he stepped down well, from I Alibaba, guarantee you he's so. on the board, but I think, yeah, he said he was going to go back to teaching. Yeah, that's, um, that's funny. You know, I guess when you have that kind of funds, you either go back to teaching or you become Jeff Bezos and you're like, Looks super yeah. pumped. You know, good <laughs> for he's gonna, he has a new girlfriend. <laughs> hey, you know, yeah, life's not doesn't suck for Bezos. He's all right. Um, uh, I want to move into our last story because this one absolutely cracks me up. Um, one, just because of the pun that our, our team was able to put around this. Barclays, so they bank Barclays and they put Bark Lays, invite stressed students to puppy sessions. It sounds like the greatest kind of hiring stupid move I've ever seen. But anyways, next week, a Barclays branch in Manchester, England will host a litter of puppies to help cash-strap students reduce anxiety. <laughs> the bank... <laughs> uh, anyways. Uh, the bank will also provide access to money mentors who will offer advice on budgeting. More than three-quarters of students worry about running out of money in their first term. According to a study from the bank, the bank will also stream the puppy session on YouTube. Oh, my God. Um, You know what? But actually, here's why I find this story interesting. 
All right, it, it does sound personally rather stupid, but good on them. But in the U.S., the student debt crisis, and mm-hmm. we do say it's a student right. debt crisis, is a bit ridiculous. I think student debt is $1.7 trillion, I believe, it's and growing every trillion, year. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's actually a significant component of folks in their 50s like me mm-hmm. and older, whether you're carrying your, your kids' debt or it mm-hmm. might even be yours because mm-hmm. you went back to school. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I thought we were unique in the U.S. I didn't realize the amount of student debt that's carried in the U.K., yeah, I think you walk away with about thirty thousand pounds now. So it, it, it's obviously lower than here, but it, it's 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 still significant. Yeah, yeah. I was actually but, but it's, surprised. But it's by held that. in a weird way because it's given to you by the government and then it's pulled back out of your salary, but it lasts some people a lifetime. Oh, that's interesting. But but there's also a crisis that's happening here right now, which is the stress that students are dropping now because they don't have money. So there's a student debt, which is post, and then there's also the stress of not having enough money to like during school. And I think that's sort of what the Barclays thing is trying to address, which is, which is the experiential. See, this is the thing. Money is personal. And this is sort of like my, you know, my sweet spot. Money go, is personal. Ramona, go. At the end of the day, what people are trying to do is to connect money to something that is is interesting. It's a brand. I mean, we're we always said we're trying to create a brand around a lifestyle brand brand around money. And I think this is what this is getting at, right? Which is, yes, I have ten apps and they all do great things, but at the end of the day, money is still personal. It's mm-hmm. like Weight Watchers. It's like you know, it's 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 something that they want to experience. And I think that this is what what they're getting at here, which is like it's human and you can talk about money and feel good and go pet puppies. Hey, I follow tons of dogs on Instagram, so I'm. <laughs> They would kind of get me to go to something. Like so does Phil? Can I? I, I am. A, I get a little bit grumpy about this yeah. because it's like it's it's what you often see when it, it feels. I mean, maybe this is very unfair, but it's like, oh, we're going to give you dogs and we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to forgive your debt. We're yeah, exactly. Your debt. <laughs> no, I wrote this. ROI on it. That's the other yeah. thing. I was like, what's your ROI? Well, no, this entirely comes down to the fact that they're all renting out their fundamental core banking to third parties, right? And financial service products themselves are. In, Entirely undifferentiated, right? And once everything is a ba- has banking functionality, what does the bank actually do? Correct. Right. So they have to have a brand, and Correct. they have to have some connection. The and problem is this is so inauthentic. Flailing, but they're all looking yeah. for something, right, to actually you know differentiate what they right. actually are. Totally. You're right. The inauthentic and bluntly quite condescending. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I don't know. Like I'm 37, but if I was a student right now, there's no way I'm going into Barclays because it feels condescending. I think the much more interesting trend. That people aren't focusing enough on is on like Reddit and in certain like groups. People mm-hmm. are now there's a lot of peer advice happening yeah. in, in yeah, this yeah. generation, yep. and I think that is absolutely fascinating. I mean, it's open to exploitation, at like you know at the wrong tips on advice on investments. But if you look at some of the stuff that's out there on Reddit th- uh, threads, mm-hmm. it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. These guys are going out and they they don't necessarily trust the generation above them. With mm-hmm. probably some justification, mm-hmm. just to be clear, mm-hmm. because they are living a completely different experience. This is the first generation that's come through with their their their, their brand loyalty is nine inches from their face on a smartphone. Mm-hmm. They they've they've had like um, a different experience through their teenage years than anyone who 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 didn't have this. So they are m- much more inclined to trust their peers, yes. like maybe even more so than any generation oh, yeah. before. And this. Just it's it's like it's like people sitting yeah. in a room in their forties. This is a cynical attempt to get Instagram posts. Right. Yeah. Right? yeah. Like it's a what is it? You get to take a picture with a dog and it's gonna be tagged with Barclays, right? Because it's a clever pun. I mean, that's right. all it is. It's the Starbucks right. unicorn latte. I, I feel <laughs> terrible, by the way, having Gert Barclays because they've been absolutely lovely to us this Oh, week. yeah, they're a great In client. Barclays Rise, they've looked <laughs> no, after we us. We love you all, they, but they've done incredibly. But this, this particular oh, initiative yeah. annoys me. It's Barclays oh, yeah. UK, yeah. not Barclays No, I, US, I think so. that kind of what Will, Will and Ramon were saying, where like it, it comes down to that personal connection, right? I think like the best advice you have is from, from someone that you actually trust. They may not necessarily be the finance guru. Like I was going to say, I think one of the most active Slack channels that we have at Plaid is our personal finance channel. And it's just people mm. sharing random advice where it's like, hey, I need a tax person or hey, I've, mm-hmm. uh, I'm thinking about getting a CD. What does that mean, yes. right? And we're just sharing different right. things across that. Right. And like, a, we're, we're working a fintech company, right. right? And yet we have all these fintech apps and we're still asking each other for all this mm-hmm. advice. We're, they're asking about, because people don't get financial education at home yep. or at school. And then that's actually the white space that we're filling. It's like, yes, you can have great apps. We'll bring them onto our platform and yeah. integrate them through an API. But at the end of the day, people want information and they want information they mm-hmm. can trust. So we're yes. authentic. This is inauthentic. Mm. That's the problem. Right? And there's a distinct gap here. We touched on this earlier in some of the other stories that I find fascinating. This is a generation that has not gone through a massive recession, right? We've gone a decade without a recession, and yet 
right? We've got the 1.7 trillion in student debt. That the the kind of domino effect, because I keep reading about this, is um, what will be the impact on, say, the auto industry or mm-hmm. mortgages, mortgages, right? They're constantly getting pushed. Then I don't know if the the fact I don't think it's accurate to say they haven't experienced what it's like to be in a recession because we almost have two economies going on right that, now. I love you, where Phil. QE two has been propping up asset classes mm-hmm. at the yeah. expense mm-hmm. of consumers and younger generations, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like they're in a robust job market if they're outside Correct. of New York City or San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. They're not seeing their own savings go up. Their costs are going up. Like the actual inflation they experience might not be tracked in the CPI, right. but they're feeling it. Mm-hmm. So – I don't know if it's right to say they have an experience. And a recession. I, I totally thank agree. you for coming there, right? Because I mean, I agree with you 100, percent right? You can point at the stock market mm-hmm. and say, "Look at the incredible rise that we're yeah. seeing in there." And I'm like, "Yeah, and who's actually yeah. benefiting?" Wait, yeah. Yeah. Not it's owned by 10 percent of America. Right. Thank you. Know, you. Yeah, and where do you answer the question in here? Like, where's the Barclays branch with the dogs? That's going to answer the question. I'm at university. Should you become a lawyer? Probably not. Like, I don't know if lawyers are going to exist in the future. And, <laughs> sorry, Ramona, I'm not being weird. <laughs> no a longer a lawyer. I, I'm, because, a tra- I'm a trained accountant, and, like, <laughs> like they are not going to exist in the future. So those traditional routes that you were going to come out. So a little bit of budgeting tips with a dog, I mean, it's just not going to answer your fundamental questions right. that you yeah. as a generation have got. That's right. Sorry you made the poor choice of taking on all this debt. Come pet, pet a dog. Right. It's like, <laughs> and, and, post, makes and hashtag, and yeah. make sure you do that yeah. also. Right. Yeah, I, uh, again, I, I read this, and I'm like, come on. You know, really, it it gets back to, and this is what I, I, I get back to, and this is across any type of company that you want to start. Are you addressing a real problem? Are you really addressing a real problem that will impact either an individual's life or a business life to make it easier and to keep pace with how technology is changing, mm-hmm. right? And how right. business models are changing mm-hmm. and how they're moving, which don't you love that? Because I'm going to use this for a shout out for each of you to give us a little spiel on your company because we're out of time. Because that wraps up this week's news show. I want to thank all of our guests. So where can people find out more about you and more importantly, the company, Phil? Uh, evenfinancial.com. And if you're looking to do f- partnership in financial services to make more money or serve your consumers better, just get in touch and integrate us. And they're actually right across the street from our New York office. So Alex Gillette, he had the idea of putting up a zip line between the two of us. I'm incredibly excited about that. (laughs) Ramona? They can find us at www.mymoneymyfuture.co. You can also find us on Instagram. Um, And we are always looking to partner with other startups, actually. We're not a competitor. So we provide that sort of space of financial education and meeting a new customer, which is the uh, multicultural demographic in the U.S., which is growth, huge growth market. If you see Ramona on stage, stay and listen. She's incredibly <laughs> good uh, storyteller and incredibly passionate about um, the industry and what she's in. Charlie. We're at plaid.com. And quick little plug, we just launched in France, Spain, and Ireland today. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, so we're expanding out in the UK, EU, uh, EU, Canada, and the US. So sign up for API keys, plaid.com. If you would have acquired somebody, then you would have been story number one. Right, but, right. Yeah, the next time you're on, there <laughs> we'll you go. We'll work on that. Uh, Will? Uh, I'm on Twitter at WillWhite11FS. And again, one of the greatest beards in all of New York. As for me, <laughs> it's Sam Mall on Twitter. <clears throat> Obviously, follow the FinTech Insider feed also if you want to be able to see what city we're at and what we're up to. All right, folks, what did you think about today's show? Let us know on Twitter at FinTech Insiders or email podcasts at 11FS.com. Don't forget to vote for us for the British Banking Awards. We really appreciate that. And most importantly for us, go out to iTunes, give us a five-star review. If you don't want to give us a five-star review, go out to like Freakonomics and give them like a (laughs) one-star. That would actually be cool. Everybody, thanks for listening. Everybody, thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much.